If you turn to John chapter 11, John chapter 11 begins really a couple of chapters that are, that are linked together, but chapter 11 very specifically by itself. And probably one of the most human stories in all of the Bible, and certainly uh, here in John's gospel, I think it is uh, the one that we could probably look at and go, wow, that's my story. That's our story. That's your story. Because in it, we find a family. We find two sisters and a brother uh, and the Lord Jesus in their midst. And, and we find tragedy comes to a family that Jesus dearly loves. And so in that sense, the emotions of it all, the rawness of it all, uh, the very picture that so many of us uh, battle with, because ultimately a man, especially those without Christ, uh, fear death. It's kind of our final foe. It's the, it's the last thing that each of us uh, really will be forced to face. And and in our attempt to forestall that or even to you know, try and remember people who have gone on, we've built these tremendous monuments. Uh, this happens to be a, a drone shot of the Tomb of the Unknown at Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. But we have a tendency to think on that final breath as being something that ultimately each of us has to struggle with. Well, what does that really mean? And ultimately, as we give our life to Christ, we recognize that Jesus has actually dealt a death blow to death. In other words, though we will one day die, we're not going to eternally perish. And we're actually going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And so this picture of the Lord's absolute authority over death is found in this passage of scripture that begins in verse 1 of John chapter 11 as he defeats our final foe, but he does so in such a way uh, to remind us that we as human beings, we as members of the body of Christ are not immune to really bad things happening to oftentimes very good people. That even we as Christians go through extremely difficult times, hard times that we don't understand, that we can't put our finger on and go, this is why this happened. And so we find Jesus responding to what for most of us would be the very worst day imaginable. And here is Mary and Martha as they send word to Jesus that their brother is sick and in fact, he's actually going to die. How does the Lord handle that as he defeats our final foe? Would you pray with me and we'll dig in at verse 1 here in John chapter 11. Father, we are grateful for this incredible human story. Lord, a story that almost without exception is going to touch each of our lives at some point in time. The loss of a loved one. What does it mean to us? What do you do about it when it happens? And God, we're grateful that we who believe in you Though one day we will take our final breath humanly, uh, we will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. And we're grateful for that promise and pray now as we study your word that you'd speak to us through it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, John chapter 11. And now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. So this little tiny hamlet, this is not even really a town, It's not a village. It was a cluster of a handful of buildings at the time. 
about two miles from the Temple Mount. It's on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, so a very short walk, uh, less than a half hour, really, and you could be back over to the Temple Mount. Uh, Lazarus lived in Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now I want you to underline that. Because this is you. This is us. This is we. God knows absolutely every last one of his sheep. We've already seen that. He knows those whom are his. And he loves you. And yet here we find a very pointed statement. Jesus is God, and yet one whom Jesus loves is not only sick, he's going to die, and from a human perspective, quite prematurely. This is a very bad thing happening to a very good family whom Jesus loves. This is a picture of perhaps how you see some of the things in your life. Maybe you're wondering why the God of heaven whom you love and you believe loves you has allowed you to lose a loved one. Maybe you've gotten the diagnosis that you have cancer and you don't have long to live. Perhaps you lost a job that you thought you were going to retire from, but now not only is that not the case, you may be starting over late in life. Maybe you're in that position to where you're wondering how you're going to keep your home, and you wonder if the God whom you believe loves you actually does love you because he's allowed something to happen that seems tragic and inexplicable. That question gets answered in this chapter. Because without question, Jesus says repetitively, this is a family that I love. And so underline the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loves Mary and Martha. And yet Jesus, being God, allows something disastrous to happen in their lives. Behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, and remember it's not that Jesus didn't already know it, but the prayers, the effective, the fervent prayers of a righteous man, a righteous woman, as James says, avails much. And so word has gotten out The sisters have said, we need to send word to Jesus. They've been faithful to put the word out, to ask, to inquire. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. And here it is. Here's the reason. Here's the backstory on absolutely every last thing that is bad that happens to people who love the Lord. Here's the ultimate reason. Here is the thing that Romans 8, 28 conveys to us, that all things work together to the good for those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. Not that they are good. The death of a loved one is never good. Cancer is not good. The loss of your home is not good. The loss of your job is not good. 
It's not wonderful. You can't jump up and down and say, praise God, I just lost an eye. You start doing that, we have to have you go someplace where the walls are padded. It's not that it's good in and of itself, but scripture says Jesus is making the case that he's going to use things that though they look disastrous, he will ultimately use them but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. There's the reason, there's the backstory. There's actually the purpose in, in this story, if you will. God has some plan, some, some purpose. And so it's not a why question that should be asked, it's a what question. You see, we as human beings, very naturally so, want to know why this happened to me. Why this happened to our family. We ask God and he understands our why questions. But the real question is, what God are you wanting to do with this? And now you can see how it unfolds before you in verse 5. And just in case you didn't get it the first time. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. It wasn't a lack of love. It wasn't a lack of care. It wasn't that God all of a sudden said, man, I am just so sick of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They just caused me nothing but headaches. They keep sinning. They've done a bunch of stuff, and I'm just not happy about it, so they can just go on their own from here on out. Notice what it says. This horrific event is wedged between two statements. That Jesus, God's own son, the savior of the world, loved this family. He loved them. And so when he heard that he was sick, this blows our mind. Because this is not what we expect. You love us, and this is how you show us. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. You see, our humanness says, well, if you really love me, you'd get in a helicopter and get here quick. And you'd bring the best doctors and all the medications in the world. And you would be right here. If you really love me, God, we wouldn't lose our home. If you really love me, God, I wouldn't have cancer. If you really love me, God, my son would never become a prodigal. You see, from our human perspective, we think that every single time something bad happens, our humanness takes us to, there must be something wrong with me. Or maybe I've fallen out of favor with God. Or maybe God never loved me at all. And so that's why these things are happening. You see, our humanness begins to doubt that God loves us. Our frailty, our weakness says, well, maybe God doesn't really actually care about me all that much. Maybe I'm finally that person that's gone someplace where God can't go or won't go. And I want you to, to hear this story from the human side of it. Because this is my story. This is your story. There are going to be things that will happen in your life where you are going to be tested 
as to whether you will stand on the fact that God loves you or not. And God loves you. But that's going to get tested. There are going to be moments in life where you're going to go, wow, Lord. Really? Notice what he says. He stayed two more days where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, this is where we pick up the brilliant disciples. The amazing spiritual intellect that they have. Incredible spiritual response to what's unfolding before them. Now, remember, they've just left Jerusalem. The hills around Jerusalem are called Judea. They're now 40 miles away or so in the Jordan River Valley. And they've gotten away from this persecution that we've been studying about for the last several months. That began at the Feast of Tabernacles. Goes all the way to Hanukkah. They've been confronted inside of the the temple court itself. In Solomon's porch. And all of the Jewish religious leadership, they're after Jesus and actually they want to stone him. And so here's the disciples' response. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? It's kind of like, you know, it's really nice in the Jordan River Valley about this time of year. And we're not getting harassed by anybody. I realize that these people that you love are having a rough time, but you know, it hasn't been so good for us either. Can't we just stay here? And Jesus answered, are not there 12 hours in the day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He's saying, look, guys, we need to get going. We need to show them the light. We need to be who we've been called to be. You guys need to come along because there's going to be something that's going to show people the light of the world. And these things he said. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now, he's using a euphemism in the fact that he said sleep, and you can tell that the disciples don't get what he said by what follows. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. I mean, just give him some chicken soup and some tea and some ibuprofen and have him call Jesus in the morning. They absolutely do not understand that Jesus has actually used an Old Testament understanding of the term sleep and he's basically already said that he knows Lazarus is actually dead already because if he had told them look Lazarus is dead then they're really not going to understand why he's going there so he's going to tell them that in a moment however Jesus spoke of his death But they thought that he was speaking about taking the rest and sleep. Anybody else been like that in your spiritual understanding of something that the Lord's done in your life? 
It's like God's saying, look, this is a serious thing. Here it is. And you're going, well, it's not that bad. The Lord's trying to speak to them spiritually and they're trying to see it actually literally. And then Jesus said to them plainly, look guys, you're not getting it. You truly are KFC, knuckleheads for Christ. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. He's not sleeping like you think he's sleeping. He's dead. And then notice what he says. Can you imagine what they're thinking about now? Wow, the persecution has gotten to him. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Man, there's so many questions in this passage of scripture. And there are questions that you would ask. There are questions that I have asked. There are questions that we will probably continue to ask as long as we're on this earth. You know, what, what's Jesus trying to say to this family that he's professed that he loves? Basically, he's dead. He's buried. He's in the ground. If you really loved him that much, you would think that Jesus would have done something about it. You see, this is the same question that you and I would ask. Lord, if you really love me, then why did you let this happen in the first place? If you really love me, how did this disaster come my way? You see, because we associate the removal of all problems from our lives with the favor of God. And in fact, we find here that God not only allows very deep problems, but he actually allows very good people to die that he loves. And so when someone comes to you and say, well, you know, you just don't have enough faith, you can tell them, well, then the apostles did not have enough faith. Because every, every last one of them died a martyr's death. I guess Jesus really didn't love them. No, the fact of the matter is, is that as we go through life, very often the very things that will shape our character at the deepest level are the things that we ourselves would avoid if we could. How many of us have learned compassion through pain? How many of us have learned how to be tender because we ourselves were abused? How many of us have learned to forgive because we've had something to forgive? How many of us have learned to fight the good fight because there's been a battle? Our lives of faith are always going to be tested. That's how we grow. And in fact, sometimes the deepest understanding that we have about spiritual things have come from our failures to understand them in the first place. Because all of a sudden, that thing which we failed at time one, time two, we're able to help somebody else. Because I know what it's like. I, I know what it's like to start over. You see, things come into our lives that we don't understand initially what God is doing and why he's doing it. And from their perspective, this whole thing seemed like it was a little and it was too late. But here's how God works in our lives. There's zero question and Jesus just over and over says these things that you get this picture Look, there's serious sickness. There's disease. 
These ladies are radically disappointed. Can you imagine when they actually find out Jesus delays for two days and even coming? You don't think that they're disappointed? You see, God understands your disappointments. God understands the fact that you don't get why he delays sometimes. You don't get why he would allow some kind of disease. I have sat with people in about every condition that you can possibly imagine. And in many cases have held their hands while they take their last breaths on this earth. And I can tell you that there are no words. There's no book you can go to. You can't pull it out and just say this when that happens, Jeff. Sometimes all you can do is cry and go, I am so sorry that this has come to your life on this day. And I do not know why God has allowed it. I don't know. But I know this, God is good, and he loves you, and he loved your son. I remember I was sitting in a hospital in Lake Arrowhead with a family, and their son had been in a horrific car accident. It was a whole group of young people, and the vehicle had flipped, and he had been ejected, and and the car rolled over the top of them. And he did not make it. I got there. He was still alive. And the parents, the mom, the dad, the children are in the waiting room. And they are screaming at the top of their lungs. Jesus, save our son. Jesus didn't save their son. They had gone to church their whole lives. She was in women's ministry. He was an elder in the church. Their children were baptized, every last one of them, in our church. Everything about their life said they loved Jesus. They were faithful in every area of ministry. And yet their son is gone. It took two years before they could finally come back to church. Before they could sit down and have someone mention the name of Jesus. Because they didn't understand. Horrific things happen to people who love the Lord. The only question is, What are you going to do when those things happen to you? Because they're going to come. Maybe not to all universally, and maybe not something so disastrous as that. But disappointment, delay, disease, even death come to people who desperately and deeply love the Lord. You see, but from God's perspective, his timing is actually 100% perfect. I I remember thinking, Lord, what do I say? The answer was there was nothing to say. 
could just cry. Just hold on to them. While the Lord worked a miracle in their life. They ended up adopting three kids. Beautiful picture of God's grace. How the Lord used tragedy to save three other kids. You see, we don't see that side of it. We, we don't get where God's going. Because God's ways are not our ways. You see, in this we see the sovereign workings of God. God perceived this. God understood it. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omni-everything. And so God knew this was going to happen. Jesus was God. And Jesus himself professed he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So it wasn't a shock to God. It wasn't a shock to Jesus. He didn't wake up and go, man, I can't believe I let that happen to Lazarus. I don't know how that would got by me. Because Mary and Martha lost their brother. I mean, wow, I'm really falling down on the job here. No, God knew about it. He knew everything about it. And he knew what he was going to do with it. And so in that sense, you can only come to a couple of conclusions. God either actually made it happen, or at the very least, he permitted it. Because he's sovereign. Because he could have certainly, just as we already saw in John chapter 4, he healed the nobleman's son without even going there. And he didn't actually profess love for the nobleman or his son. And here's a family that he loves. You would think that, well, I'll just heal him from here. But he chose not to do that. So God, at the very least, permitted Lazarus to become so sick that he died. And a third thing, and you can kind of see it in the backstory of this, is that ultimately God had a plan. And we know, because we have the rest of the story, that that's exactly the case. Because who becomes case number one with Jesus in Jerusalem? He's walking around town with Lazarus, the former dead guy. And people are going, we heard you died. Yeah, well, I was dead. As a matter of fact, I was really dead. I was dead for four days. I was so dead, I was stinking. But as you can see, I'm a little fresher now. And me and Jesus are wandering around Jerusalem telling everybody about him. So God had a plan to do something with this formerly dead man. But he had to die first. And Mary and Martha had to go through the pain first. You see, we don't like that because here's the deal. We don't like delays. We want God to tell us exactly why he's doing what he's doing and why he's doing it now. Why are you delaying, God? Why don't don't you just get on with it? I mean, surely you could do these things supernaturally, right? Outwardly, humanly speaking, Lazarus is dead. It's like, okay, we'll just heal him now from here. But God doesn't do that all the time. 
He lets things come into our lives we just can't wrap our heads around. This was a strange delay, but there are strange things that happen in all of our lives. My brother's 40-year career in law enforcement, he's getting ready to retire from California Highway Patrol. He's been there over 30 years. He'll actually retire uh, from San Diego County Sheriff's here in not too distant future. But my brother's, well, he and I are alike. He's not too smart sometimes. And so he decided at a later stage in his career to become a motor officer, ride a motorcycle. Because he liked the speed. And I kind of said, you know, that's not, you know, you're kind of old. Just saying. You know, could you maybe not ride, you know, go back to a, you know, go back to a squad car, you know. Why don't you get a desk job? No, he had to ride the motorcycle. About a year before I left the camp, I get a phone call from his captain. You need to get to Riverside Memorial Hospital quickly. Your brother may not make it. Fly down the mountain. 45 minutes later, I pull onto Lime Street off the 91, and I get to the intersection. It's still blocked off. The back half of my brother's motorcycle is on that side of the intersection. The front half is on that side of the intersection. His helmet is stuck in a bush. His boots are in the middle of the intersection. He was hit broadside at 45 miles an hour by an SUV. said, you need to get into the hospital. You want to make sure you go see him. And he looked like he got hit broadside by... An SUV doing 45 miles an hour on a motorcycle. And I remember thinking, God, he's getting ready to retire. What is wrong with you? I'm being a little transparent here. I was not happy with God's decision. My brother loves you. He's raised his children in the training, the admonition of the Lord. He's an elder in his church. It's like, what up? It's like, I don't like your decision here, God. And me and God kind of went around for a little bit. And I went in. My brother's sitting there like his usual self. Guess I should have listened to you. Think I'll give up the motorcycle. And three days later, he walked out of the hospital completely unscathed. So I don't know whether he was just being so thick-headed he wasn't going to give up the motorcycle or whether God wanted to see me that I needed to pray for my brother more because he's in law enforcement. I don't know what God was doing with that, but I know the Lord used it. You see, be careful about what you think God won't allow in your life. Because God might allow something that you really don't like. And if you question his integrity, if you question his love, if you abandon the fact that in this passage, he says clearly, I love Lazarus. I love Mary. I love Martha. Then you start to think that maybe God doesn't love you. 
Oh, God deeply loves you, but he's going to take that and mix it in with the whole rest of your life. And he's going to do a Romans 8.28 thing for all things work together to the good for those who love God and are the called according to his... You see, he's going to mix that motorcycle accident. He's going to mix that rollover accident. He's going to mix the death of someone he loves, of two sisters that he loves. He's going to mix that into the mix of the cake batter of their life in order to make something beautiful that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Be careful that you don't question God's love when something bad happens. Retreat to his love, to his care, and to his concern for you because he loves you desperately and he would not ever allow something in your life that he has no intention of using for your good. Even though you can't see what that is. Even though you don't know how it's going to work out in the end. You don't know how that's going to get mixed into your life. But God does. And when you get to the other side of it, after the baking is done, and the cake is risen and decorated, you're going to see what it was that God intended. As we go through this story and we finish it up over the next couple of weeks, there are some lessons to be learned here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up as we close. But three things just from these first 14 verses. How you respond in delays, how you respond in trial, how you act out that James chapter 1 principle of brothers and sisters, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, varied often massive, difficult trials for knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And patience, when it has its completed work, leaves you lacking nothing. You see, those divine delays are going to shape you. It really is God's strengthening as you wait for him to work and speak in your life as those things which you don't understand and can't take care of yourself are being worked together somehow in the hands of a loving God for your good. You can't see it and you don't like how God's doing it, but he's doing something that you will understand when you, when you get on the other side of it. You get strengthened by it. You get completed by it. And then the final thing that you can really see almost in tech, I mean, this is like how many of us have had our faith measured out in units of adversity where you've had something horrifically difficult You've learned to be compassion, be compassionate because you yourself have suffered affliction. You've learned to be kind because you were abused. 
You've learned to forgive because you've suffered through some horrific abuse. You, you have learned to be patient because you used to be angry. You have learned to be gentle because you used to be mean-spirited and angry. You have learned these things. Faith has been measured to you through the adversity in your life. And now all of a sudden those things that you needed, you have. Because God killed something in order to make you grow. God allowed death of something that you held dear to bring you closer to him. God is good. And he's always good. And so when you don't know what God is doing and you don't know why he's doing it, you can simply say, I know that God loves me. And I know that he's going to use this ultimately somehow in my life to grow me, to strengthen me, and ultimately complete me. Because he's good. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray. And maybe you came in and you're, you're carrying something and it, it falls in this category. We have a prayer team. Brother Brad's over there. and They would love to pray with you. Maybe you have one of those situations where someone's sick in your family. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's something going on with your children. Whatever it is, let us join you in seeking the face of the Lord because he wants to touch you. He wants to heal you. He's not far from you. And he does have a plan to use what's going on in your life ultimately for something very good, even though today hurts. Father, thank you for the promises that are buried in this passage, Lord, that sometimes indeed, though things are difficult and hard, and Lord, we suffer through things that we don't really like and don't want, that ultimately, God, it's to bring you glory. Just as you said of Lazarus, to glorify your own self through what you're going to do in his life. And Lord, help us to be patient while you're working. Help us to see divine delays from the perspective of heaven and not earth. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd bless us and fill us with your spirit. And Lord, for those that maybe today are hurting, there's something going on in their life. And they're just like Mary and Martha. They're, they're wondering. Lord, would you be their, their well of strength? Would you cover them with your incredible love? We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.